0: We want to begin today talking about the kingdom of God. This is our second attempt at our debut <laughs> version of this podcast. We're looking forward to uh, diving into this study and, and this format going forward. It's, it's exciting to me to be able to sit down like this and to discuss certain topics and, and uh, have a good just in-depth Bible discussion on these things. And so today we're going to begin talking about the kingdom of God. And when we do that, when we talk about kingdoms, uh, I think people just automatically have a picture that's painted in their minds. People tend to have a, a visual image of what a kingdom looks like. Um, for me personally, I know I tend to focus more on, on geographic borders. I tend to focus on physical structure, uh, castles and um, mansions and, and things of that nature. But uh, obviously, I think it would go without saying that the kingdom of God is not established in that way, and yet despite that fact people have different ideas of what the kingdom of God uh, is, what it exists, what it's um, made of and what constitutes the kingdom of God and what form it's going to manifest itself and what form it does manifest itself and all of these things. So that's really what we want to try to get into and dissect and discuss today and we want to go spend most of our time today in the Old Testament, using some Old Testament references, but you know as well as I do the uh, interconnectedness between the Old Testament and how much of a schoolmaster it truly is, pointing us towards the New Testament, that we can't completely abandon the New Testament in this study. There's going to be natural places where they cross over, and so happy to, to dive into those. Um, I want to begin by reading a passage out of the book of Isaiah, and then I'm going to let you kind of take over from there, Jay, and give your thoughts and your introductions, and then we'll just kind of jump into this thing and start start uh, going through these scriptures and, and giving our thoughts. In Isaiah 2, the, uh, verses 2 and 3, Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so here, the kingdom of God, the visual image that's painted by Isaiah, is the kingdom resting upon a high mountain. And so I'm going to stop right there. We'll talk more about that uh, that imagery and that, that visual image that he paints
1: uh, in just a moment, but I'll let you go ahead and, and chime in and give your introduction. Yeah, the uh, the kingdom of God is certainly a, a topic that we see discussed several times throughout the Bible. It's just spoken of numerous times. It's prophesied about in the text that you just read from Isaiah chapter 2, and we're going to look in Daniel in just a few moments and look at some passages there as well. I do want to hop into the New Testament for just a moment just to make an observation here about the number of times that the kingdom is mentioned in uh, the Gospels and the book of Acts. And uh, just looking a few moments ago just to be sure I had these numbers right, um, the kingdom is mentioned 135 times beginning in Matthew 3 through Acts 28. And it's it's really interesting uh, when you begin to break that down into numbers, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, is the gospel that mentions the kingdom the most. And we find it mentioned 56 times in the Gospel of Matthew. So out of the 28 chapters in Matthew's gospel, 21 of those chapters uh, mentions the kingdom. Uh, In Mark's gospel, out of the 16 chapters in Mark's gospel, 10 of those chapters mentions the kingdom. And in Luke's gospel, 18 out of 24 chapters talks about the kingdom. And in the Gospel of Matthew, 12, 12 times in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom is mentioned. So Matthew chapter 13 is a gospel, uh, chapter in the Gospel of Matthew that would definitely be something good to look at in our uh, study of the kingdom. And in the book of Acts, it's mentioned eight times. What's interesting in the book of Acts is um, each time this is being talked about, uh, we find Uh, Philip preaching and teaching about things concerning the kingdom in Acts 8. Acts 14, Paul talks about how through much tribulation you will enter the kingdom. Uh, In Acts 19, Paul uh, there is talking about disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom. Uh, Acts 20, preaching the kingdom, expounded and testified about the kingdom. Acts 28, 23 and Acts 28, 31, preaching the kingdom of God. So what we're going to be talking about in the Old Testament that was prophesied about going to take place in the latter days, and we'll talk more about what that means here in a few moments, uh, we see in the first century the preaching and teaching was focused on the Kingdom. So as we think about the Gospel and the Kingdom together, it's impossible to separate the two. The good news of Jesus Christ has everything to do with being a citizen in His Kingdom. Yeah,
0: absolutely. and Tying into what you just said, is the thing that we can't forget and the thing that, uh, despite, like I said, my mental image is of geographic borders and, uh, and of physical structures, but kingdoms are people. Right. A king without uh, people is not a king. He's just a guy. Right. And, and since you jumped into Matthew, I will too. And so uh, it's kind of interesting that in Matthew, when he records at the beginning of Jesus' ministry his uh, temptations, And what Matthew records as the third temptation was Satan taking him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showing him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the image that's painted in my mind with that, and we don't have to dive into that right now, but is that that's where the temptation for Jesus was, is in Satan delivering the people that would otherwise be uh, tempted and ruined by him if Jesus would just fall down and worship him um, but but it, it, the thing that was interesting and the thing that was the temptation was Satan taking him up there and showing him all of these kingdoms comprised of all of these people. And so that's just a, uh, an interesting thought Absolutely. Yeah. given the fact that Jesus is aware of this and in the following chapter in Matthew 5, Jesus makes the point to his disciples that are gathered with him in the Sermon on the Mount that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden and so that's kinda interesting that he makes that comparison to the city, a city setting up on a hill when the kingdom of God is indeed that city sitting up on the hill as Isaiah prophesied about and uh, it just the, the imagery again painted there that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden and he talks about he did this after telling his disciples you are light and then he makes this comment about a city set up on a hill can't be hidden. Well, if you've ever been to a place out west where you can see for great distances and you see something lighted up on a mountain, you know exactly what he's talking about. It's You can't hide something that's set up on a hill. And he said that, uh, Isaiah said that all, all nations would flow to it. And, you know, so the question that comes to my mind is if the city is so well lit, if it's so obvious, then why aren't more people flowing to it and the fact is is that you can sit it up there where it can be seen but not all people choose to see it Mm -hmm. and so this is why it's, it's good for us to go in and study things like this is because it helps us to see the kingdom the way God sees it which is what's ultimately important my view of the kingdom matters absolutely zero what is what is important is that it
1: matches my view. Matches God's view. His view of the kingdom is what's right. truly important. Do you believe that the one of the big misunderstandings about the kingdom has to do with what you've brought up? Is just this misconception about, or perhaps focusing too much on the physicality and the location and all those types of things? That, you know, because we see we see so much teaching today in regards to the kingdom and it's focused on a certain location and a certain place and all these physical things uh, when it's certainly more spiritual. It's a spiritual kingdom that we're a part of. Jesus said, "This my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah, I absolutely think that's part of the problem and it's tough for us sometimes to overcome our
0: physical nature. We're physical people and we're accustomed to dealing with physical things and so when we have to transition out of that mindset it's challenging for us sometimes. And right. to, um, to walk, to truly walk by faith, as we're told to do, and to, to live by the Spirit, those things are challenging to do for us as physical people. And yet, it's so important for us to not get wrapped up in the physical things when it, the physical things are not what's truly important. It's the spiritual things. And so I think that, yeah, that's absolutely a struggle. I think that's absolutely an issue and why there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding is people want to tie it to an actual kingdom, to an actual reign, to an actual rule. And while Jesus truly is at the head, Jesus truly, uh, I would say, is a king, we can't think of his kingdom in those terms. When you read the book of Revelation, people want to read that and apply literal elements from that and that's not it at all. It's descriptive. It's put in human terms and in physical terms so that we can understand it, and we can comprehend it. But, but yeah, to take those physical elements and try to apply them unilaterally across the board is doing a complete disservice to what the scriptures tell us about
1: the kingdom. Absolutely. I'm always impressed by uh, getting back into the Old Testament a little bit, where we began the the prophecies in the Old Testament and Isaiah and Daniel and even in other places, uh, and just seeing the consistency of the inspired Scripture with just historical historical evidences of, of seeing the kingdom coming to fruition and just. Uh, perhaps, uh, for instance, there in Daniel, with with all of the different kingdoms that we're going to be talking about here in a few moments, in the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we can even historically go back and and see how all of those things came to pass. And in his dream, the description of of the way the kingdoms were going to uh, manifest themselves, and seeing how um, perhaps the the Roman Empire, how how it all the different things that happened throughout history with it, and how we get to a certain point uh, of 25 to 30 years before the time of the birth of Jesus, and everything is happening just as it had been predicted in the Old Testament or prophesied about in the Old Testament. To me, that's faith building. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and we're going to
0: we're gonna see that painted so well with the scriptures surrounding um, and the passages surrounding and the, and the historical events surrounding what we read of the prophecies uh, in Daniel, before we leave Isaiah, though, uh, I do want to talk about a couple things in this in this verse. Verse two starts out says that it shall it shall come to pass in the latter days. And so, what Isaiah is pointing to is a future event. He's pointing to something that has not yet happened. And so, in those future days, that's when the mountain of the Lord's house shall be shall be established again. The shall be. This is a future event that he's talking about a forward-looking event and that's the nature of prophecy that's the nature of what we see here in Isaiah and it's what we see also in these passages in Daniel that we're going to look at these things shall come to pass in the latter days. Latter days again a term that's used many times in Old Testament to refer to the coming kingdom the coming Messiah uh, in the latter days the days that we live in now we live in those latter days and this shall be, shall be, shall be. All nations shall flow to it. And so all of these things are future looking. So we know that he's not talking about any kind of thing that's happening in his day and time. It, it's a future looking event.
1: Right. And it's interesting there as you were reading that, it, talking about all nations. This is, was not something that was just for Israel, it was a, a promise, a kingdom that was for Jew and Gentile, which in, we understand includes everyone. The, the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 15 and other places uh, was given 400 and some years before the law of Moses was established. Paul writes about that in Galatians chapter three. And that gospel message of salvation, that gospel message of even the kingdom, uh, predates the law of Moses. And that was one of the big issues that the Jews had, of course, in the book of Acts in regards to who's going to be our king and what type of kingdom is he going to establish and what type of kingdom is he going to set up and what type of king is he going to be. And Jesus wasn't meeting their criteria because of a flawed view of what they thought the kingdom should be. But God never intended the kingdom that he was going to establish forever, the eternal kingdom, to just be for Israel.
0: Yeah, and it's so... Uh, interesting that what you said. I was thinking um, when you were talking about predating even the law of Moses, and that the beautiful thing about the kingdom under Christ is that it encompasses all the best of the Mosaic law, but it encompasses all the best of uh, 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 the patriarchal period too. Uh, I mean, it's just it's it's like a culmination of those. Under the under the patriarchal period, God spoke directly and individually with everyone and then that was all kind of uh, funneled together into a law under the law of Moses and yet Hebrews tells us that we have such a better law under Christ and yet it's not specifically for one nation it, it's like the patriarchal law it's for everybody it's, it's all encompassing so yeah that's, that's really just a, an amazing thing to, to think about the, the scope and the, and the magnitude of the kingdom uh, under Jesus and yet how beautifully it's portrayed
1: Absolutely. It's, it's a law of liberty. It's a law that sets us free. This new law of Jesus is. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So he said that uh, this would be established uh, in the last days, and we've talked about that. But he also said that it would go forth from Jerusalem. So that's alluding or kind of pointing to what you were just saying in there. This law would go forth from Jer- Jerusalem and, and anybody who studied the Old Testament recognizes, especially under the Mosaic Law, that Jerusalem was the, was the centerpiece. It was the, it was the focal point of, um, uh, of the old law. So it's referred to sometimes as Zion, which paints a, another picture for us. Out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so it's going to flow out of that. It's going to, to have elements and components, like we said that are are brought forth from the old law, pointing towards the new law under under that kingdom. Um, and so, there's going to be a connection, a tie. And so, you know, we can't be people who say that, you know, well, we're living under the New Testament. We can't go. There's no point in going back and studying the old. And that's completely wrong because there's so much there. paints It is a tragedy because it paints a picture, such a beautiful picture of what the new law is going to be. And so. You know, Isaiah's telling us is that there's there's something more. There's something big coming, right. and right. and it is and it is big, and and that the judgment between nations mm-hmm. and, and all of that is gonna uh, is it, gonna be taken away. All of the, the, the animosity and the the um, the division and the distinction is going to be taken away it's going to be kind of culminated under one big beautiful kingdom
1: sure excellent thoughts and going off some of the things you said there as you think about the law going forth from zion and the word of the lord from jerusalem uh, we clearly see that that there was there was a message with this coming kingdom and there was continued work to do Uh, in other words the responsibility of these kingdom citizens was to go out and make more citizens And to enlarge the borders of the kingdom. I've heard that prayed in prayers before, but that's really very, very important that we're trying to enlarge the borders of the kingdom in in our location here in Richmond, but not just here, but all over the world. We want to be able to to spread this gospel message that others can become part of this kingdom. But also you were talking about there in verse 4 about this judgment and and how this was for all nation, nations going on there talking about beating their swords and the plowshares, their spears and the pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. The idea of this this kingdom that was coming was going to be a kingdom of peace. Absolutely. It was intended to be a kingdom of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace.
0: That's, what a great thing to look forward to because we live in anything but a time of peace right now. Right. And, uh, and so that's just a, a great thought. I think that's actually a, a really good... Spot to step forward into Daniel because with Daniel, uh, the first um, passage we want to look at is actually in Daniel 2. Daniel 2 beginning in verse 31. But Daniel is going to be resolving an issue that Nebuchadnezzar has about a dream that he has and he's going to do that through the word of the Lord. The Lord's going to reveal Nebuchadnezzar's dream to him. And so I want to go ahead and read Daniel 2, verses 31 to 45, and then let's pull that into the the comments and the discussion that we've already had. So, Daniel 2, beginning in verse 31. Daniel says, You, O king, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver. Its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and stone that struck the image became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. This is the dream. So Daniel's going to interpret the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. This is the dream. Now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. Ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom, inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed With ceramic clay. And as the toes of feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people that's a pretty lengthy reading but we needed to set the stage for what uh this discussion and this interpretation of this dream is And i'm going to let you go ahead and, and start tackling tackling that and tearing it apart and i'll uh i'll chime in here in just a minute
1: okay yeah thank you for reading that for us uh i began to just jot some notes down in the bible here as you were reading in, in verse 35 I kind of got stuck there for a moment while you continued reading but uh, this idea of uh, the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole the whole earth that, that's just a powerful powerful statement you think about who the stone would be in this absolutely the stone would certainly be Jesus yes, of course yes. Jesus is striking this, this image this massive mighty Roman Empire who is feels as though they are indestructible and Jesus has come and he is essentially as was said in the book of Acts turned the world upside down and you couldn't do anything with Jesus you had to do something with him but you couldn't really do anything with him if you were going to try to stop him because he was his teaching it was different and all these different things he was doing you could not deny the things that he was doing and then his, his establishment of of the church and that great mountain filling the whole earth certainly takes us into the book of Acts and how beautiful of a thought is that and also another thing that jumps out to me is down in verse number 38 how it's emphasized there by Daniel and his interpretation that uh, yes Nebuchadnezzar you are this head of gold but it's been given to you by God you, you have this power but it, it's really not of your own of your own doing God is in control of all of this and he's allowing you to have this power and we, we see the Uh, just the weakness in the power really because these are powerful man-driven kingdoms in one sense but what made them strong also made them weak yeah
0: absolutely and those those
1: are really great
0: points to be made it's just um to think uh, of what Daniel is doing here before Nebuchadnezzar is really just impressive because as Nebuchadnezzar is just so torn up and conflicted about having this dream and Daniel's referred to Nebuchadnezzar and he comes in and he says, you can do this, right? You can tell me what this means. And Daniel says, there's a God in heaven. Who reveals these things. And so Daniel's establishing right up front that this message is from God. This isn't about anything that I came up with. This isn't about anything you came up with. You happen to be in this place and God says that you're you're this king right now. But this is from God and this is God's letting us know, letting you know what's in the wings, what's coming down the pike. And just what a what a powerful message it is because despite the fact that Nebuchadnezzar is revealed in this as being the head of gold despite the fact that he's revealed as being a king of kings and that he's got everything under his purview the people, the land, the animals all of it falls under his kingdom that seems insignificant in light of the fact that God's revealing this to you God's revealing this to you and it just kind of sets the precedent for who's really in charge here who's, who's really driving this thing it's not Nebuchadnezzar it's it's god that's doing this and daniel's establishing that right up front it's not me revealing this dream to you it's god revealing this dream to you and daniel goes on and tells him in the latter days again this forward-looking event going from here looking forward and and of course the uh the imagery again of the mountain and just what a what a beautiful tie-in that is and then he makes reference after that to the uh the second and third and fourth kingdoms the Medo-Persians and the Grecians and the Romans and, and that we've got all of these things you know, we, we say that we say that looking back that it's the Medo-Persians that it's the Grecians that it's the Romans and yet we don't have to question those things um, Isaiah prophesies um, in Isaiah 13 17 and 18 that the second kingdom was indeed the Medo-Persians and Daniel prophesies in eleven and uh, chapter eight and chapter eleven about the third kingdom being Greece, and so uh, all of these references that are made to what we see happen historically, and these things tie in very well historically with what we saw with Darius and the, and the other Medo Persian kings, and what we saw with Alexander the Great, and the descriptions of him as a great goat coming through and moving swiftly, and it even tells us that that he would. Um, it wouldn't last very long and Alexander the Great man who died when he was in his 30s you know he was a very young very young man but it's just it, it ties in so perfectly with the historical events that we see and uh, so do you want to say anything more about them about the uh,
1: these other yeah I, I, I think the, the contrast there of, of everything you're saying is we, we're talking about those three kingdoms and and, again, the thing that made them strong made them weak as as well because pride builds strength. I think about King Isaiah. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, he, he was very successful he, and from a military standpoint, uh, from a political standpoint, and he was lifted up in pride. And God had blessed him to be successful. And we'll remember that he because of that pride. He attempted to go in and burn incense on the altar that was not for him, and he ended up with a leprosy. That's the same type of mentality that we see with these, these earthly kingdoms that have been established here and been talked about, the Babylonians, Medo-Persians, the Grecian, and going into the Roman Empire. Uh, we see what they're driven by. They're driven by power and lust and greed, and there's very little recognition ever given to God. Uh, I think King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he gets it, to a certain degree and I think he may have gotten it even more toward the end of his life and again we mentioned this before we have great hope maybe for King Nebuchadnezzar just yeah. because of some of the things we read about him but for the most part these rulers in these kingdoms were were driven by selfishness and flesh and that's going to be a total contrast to what we're going to see in this kingdom established beginning in verse 44 and on in the days of these kings, the days of the Roman Empire uh, there's going to be set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, shall not be left to other people. Uh, we just see the different nature of that kingdom, as we mentioned a moment ago in to Isaiah 2, the peaceful nature of this kingdom. And it's, it's a kingdom that is, is focused on uh, eternal things rather than temporal things. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, that's a, a, great, uh, a great
0: thought. And it's, again, this is what physical kingdoms do. Physical kingdoms. Are established because someone with a drive for something physical has the the wherewithal to go after it, and yet that's not the the purpose of the final kingdom at all. It's not about it's not about lust. It's not about greed. It's not about um, uh, about attaining even glory, because what we know about Jesus is that He gave up glory to come to this earth. And what he established when he here was not a way for... Uh, it, it is truly a way of him being glorified in his return to heaven, but he sought to, to glorify us, to bring him up to his glory rather than to knock someone else down in order to attain glory. Jesus sought to, to bring his faithful and his, uh, his constituents along with him. You know, Jesus, Jesus said to his disciples, In my Father's house are many mansions and he was going to prepare a place and so that's that's the kingdom of god is it's a place where you imagine plenty here you imagine wealth and prosperity here and it's and it's what we have here is mind numbingly irrelevant compared to that glory uh, of heaven and it's not jesus keeping it for himself it's him trying to bring us into that Right. And just the, the picture that's this paint there, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thought. And so there's a, there's so much here. And, that, you know, I would encourage you to go back. And for sake of time, we're not going to, to read all of these here. But Daniel 11, verses 2 through 4. Daniel 8, verses 1 through 8. Daniel 8, verses 19 through 22. Uh, again, Isaiah 13, verses 17 and 18. Read those passages because they tell of the coming of these other kingdoms and they give some incredible detail about those kingdoms and, and if you look at historically what happened in those kingdoms and com- connect it to the prophecies about them, they're, they're just as accurate as they can be and like you said before, that's truly faith building when you go back and you see something foretold hundreds of years ahead of time and then it plays out exactly like it's like it's described. Truly, truly is a, a building of
1: faith. Well it's interesting is that the last I guess century leading into the time that Jesus would be born some of the historical things that that you can investigate and look at and uh, different civil wars between factions within the Roman government uh, arising and, and resulting in the death of, of certain rulers. and you, you kind of see some of this imagery in Daniel I believe of, of the kingdom weakening at that time even though even though it will continue on, or maybe another 250 plus years in the physical sense. Everything that Daniel was talking about that would be happening during the days that God would begin to establish his eternal kingdom is happening. And you get within about 20 to 25, 30 years from the time of Jesus, and you can see the state of the Roman Empire at that time. And Jesus is born into this world. And then you begin to see, as it in Matthew 3 and Mark 1, the preaching of the kingdom, and it's beginning to uh, it's beginning to take its take its root, we might say and grow just like in the parable of the mustard seed, it begins very small in the preaching of that word then it begins to grow, which is a good uh, a good illustration of what Isaiah talks about filling the whole earth and 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 growing in that sense yeah, absolutely and um you know again speaking of
0: of daniel and and I think it's probably a good time for us to go ahead and move into Daniel seven because you've mentioned the the Romans a, a few times in here and this this uh, last one, we really can kind of get into the the Roman Empire and the final kingdom, that fourth kingdom, where the the fourth kingdom was where the uh, the final kingdom would be established during the time of that fourth kingdom, that Roman kingdom there. And so Daniel again had a, a dream, had a. Um, something that, that troubled him, whereas before Nebuchadnezzar was troubled by his dream, now Daniel has a dream, and he's seeking resolution for understanding and for trying to, to get this. And so uh, I want to read Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, and this is his dream, and then we'll, we'll talk about that dream just a little bit. He says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And Daniel goes on in verse 15, just says, I was grieved in my spirit within my body and the visions of my head troubled me. And so this, Daniel didn't understand. He didn't understand what it is that that he was seeing. He was seeing this vision and uh, was being given this information and yet he couldn't make sense of it and it was it was troubling to him. Um, I want to make mention uh, of the Ancient of Days that's mentioned in Psalm 90 and verse 2. If you would, just look at that with me for just a second. Psalm 90 and verse 2 because the Ancient of Days is mentioned there. Psalm 90... In verse two, Psalm ninety and verse two. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so this this ancient of days is one referring to one who was more ancient than days even. <laughs> So for as long as there's been days, the Ancient of Days is more ancient than the days have been. And that's, that's clearly referring to God. As the psalmist mentions here, that uh, God is from everlasting to everlasting. There's no beginning, no end. And even before the mountains were brought forth, the the Lord was there. And so that's, that's such an interesting thing, that this one... This one in Daniel's dream was coming before the Ancient of Days. He was coming, uh, coming to him, and um, he coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and so this one coming they would have been able to understand. I think Daniel could have made sense, more sense of it if it was God, if it was the Ancient of Days receiving the glory, but now there's someone else mm-hmm. on, on the picture here. There's someone else on the scene. Right. And I think that's the part that gave Daniel so much trouble, is is who's this other
1: figure? Who's right. this other one that glory is being handed over to? In in the verses that precede that, verses 9 through 11, he, after talking about this vision of the four beasts, he... It says there in verse 9, I watched till the thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. And his garments was as white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was as a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. The fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. We have a courtroom setting here. And there's judgment. And notice verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and for a time. Absolutely. You made reference to this earlier. That That's extremely, extremely important there. We see this, this courtroom setting, this judge and this courtroom setting are described here in these verses. And we find this little horn which could be Domitian could be it just depends on who you how you play that out but it was this this individual who was speaking these pompous, these irreverent, these disrespectful words and we see that he is brought into judgment and he is defeated he is found guilty and the beast is slain the beast is defeated but it's important to note there again in verse 12, that they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season, for a time. And that could take us over to Revelation, perhaps Revelation 13, and some other places where uh, help answer our question in regards to how how was the beast defeated then? How was this prophecy fulfilled, fulfilled if it continued on for a couple hundred years, this particular empire did? Well, that takes us back again to understanding the nature of the kingdom we're talking about here and what type of battle was won. Uh, they were living on borrowed time; uh, their end was coming soon, and uh, 200 years in the scheme of eternity is nothing. And and Jesus absolutely established his kingdom, and he was successful in, in giving his his people their victory, and and we can be part of that kingdom today.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. And and what you said about them living on borrowed time, you see that kingdom beginning to crumble, even at the time uh, of Jesus you see some some flaws and some weaknesses there and historically you see the political troubles that they were experiencing in Rome during those times and shortly after Jesus uh, left the earth was crucified and after he reascended into heaven you see that the kingdom really starting to snowball in a bad way downhill leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in, in A.D. 70, that was kind of a, uh, a last surge for them before they really just kind of kind of crumbled. But um, in uh, I wanted to, to look at one more thing with the, the Ancient of Days, and I kind of got ahead of myself there and then I forgot to mention this. But in Isaiah 44, there's a reference in Isaiah 44, and verse six that mentions again, or this description of uh, the Ancient of Days, and it says, "Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer." Okay, so again, pointing towards uh, another one, the Lord of Hosts. I'm the first and the last, and besides me, beside me, there is no God. And so included in this is its the Lord King of Israel and his Redeemer. Again, like you said, pointing towards pointing towards Jesus. And so there's so much there's so much information pointing towards Jesus at the head of the kingdom of God, Jesus being um, in the position of authority over the kingdom of God going forward. For them at that time, the, the days of the prophets in that, that would have surely been such a, a confusing concept. Um, for them, because God was God, and God had always spoken directly during the patriarchal period, and then through um, through prophets uh, at times. And but for to have this this other one on the scene would have surely been um, uh, a confusing and, and interesting thing for them to to contemplate about. Although the scriptures do foretell the coming of the Messiah, and for those who were good and studious at that, I'm sure that they made that connection. Uh, we're told that um, when Jesus came to the earth, there were already those looking for the Messiah. So there were people that knew this was coming, right. and yet um,
1: it, it was foretold again so many so many years before. When you think about Bible characters like Simeon and Anna there in Luke chapter two, they. Uh, Simeon says, Now I can die essentially a happy man because I've seen the Lord's Christ. Yeah. And then Anna, she was this prophetess who day and night, and when she observed uh, baby Jesus, she she was excited about the fact that now she could go and proclaim the Redeemer has arrived. And so, so there were individuals who were very excited about it, Absolutely. who were looking yeah. for it. And uh, that's encouraging to see what they were willing to sacrifice and the work that they were willing to do in the first century because of that excitement
0: Yeah, and so we um, so we see the this foretelling of the, of the one who was like the son of man like the son of man uh, that expression the son of man was one of Jesus' favorite expressions for himself and so it's uh, I always like it when I see that in the Old Testament because of how many times Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. In my mind there's absolutely no doubt about who that could be talking talking about. Seeing how Jesus referred to himself in those uh, exact words so many times during his life. And so Daniel says that he sees one like the Son of Man and he's being presented to the Ancient of Days and he must come before. He's coming before the Son of Man, being presented to him. And when Jesus was on this earth, he was was certainly not his disciples' image of what a king should be. And part of what gave them so many struggles was the fact that he did not represent that kingly appearance that kingly way of doing things and in fact you know they seem they kind of tried to push him that way sometimes you know when when are you going to re-establish david's throne when are you going to re-establish um israel's place of prominence in this world um and yet that's not what jesus was here to do jesus was here to to glorify god his his glorification wasn't ready yet he wasn't ready to be glorified yet when we see all of that play out, it is not until when? Well, it's into Acts when He reascends in Acts one. Acts one, when Jesus reascends into heaven, that's when He's presented to God in all of His glory. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that time, and so you know, we Hebrews, um, the Hebrew writer says in, in chapter eight, verse one, Jesus is where seated at the right hand of God. So, so Jesus has established that place. Now And yet so many, even during his time on earth, struggled with that idea, struggled with recognizing him and, and reconciling what it is they were seeing with what it is that they they thought the Messiah was going to be, what they thought the kingdom was going to be. Because again, just like we said at the very outset of this thing, the physical nature uh, of humans makes it want to associate a physical... And they, they still wanted that. They want, uh, wanted... That, that kingdom and yet we see in these prophecies over and over again um, that that that's not that's
1: not it and they've just had a struggle to, to right. get that point in their minds and as he ascends to heaven in Acts 1 where does he tell his disciples to begin their work at? In, in Jer- Jerusalem in Jerusalem and yeah. what did Isaiah say? From yeah. They're going to flow out of Jerusalem right. so right. you see this Perfect unity of God's word, and then you just see it fulfilled throughout the Book of Acts. it's, yeah, I, it's just a beautiful picture. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it's just it's so it's so funny to me, and it's so interesting that in uh, in Paul's ministry and in, in his preaching of the gospel, you know, it, it, where does he end up? In Rome, mm-hmm. <laughs> of all yeah. places, he ends up in Rome, mm-hmm. of all places. Um, so it's just there's it's just fantastic the the connectedness. Uh, of all of these things and when you go back and, and again talking about the Daniel's vision of the beast let's, let's don't um, let that get by Daniel's vision of the beast and you go back and you look at how that was how it was described the vision of the four beasts um, and the this beast had all of these these, these elements he was like a lion um uh, and uh, had had these different components of these different animals and, mm-hmm. and the, the ten horns and the, um, the one other little horn right there. And so many people look at the things that are said
1: and uh, let me see if I can just find the words. I'm struggling to get them out of my... Out. In John's writing in Revelation... 13 is very, very similar to what, what Daniel says there. I'm there. He talks about this this beast and uh, it was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth, the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power and his throne, his great authority. And so we see the, the Roman Empire at this time. And, and I think we see that in Daniel's prophecy. If we went back and looked at the way that's described there, we can see that it was prophesied that, this fourth kingdom would take on certain aspects of the three that came before it. And again, that gave it power in a sense, but it also made it very weak as well, because it, it wasn't it wasn't a unified uh, kingdom in in one sense of, of everything that uh, that they felt would make them strong in the sense that they took on all of these other kingdoms. It made them a very a very powerful kingdom, but their power came from the dragon. Well, how did the dragon give them their power? Well, it was through their submission to him, their sin, their pride, their arrogance. And I think that's mentioned a lot there in that passage in Daniel 7 about the pompous words and those those types of descriptions of the king. The yeah, thank,
0: thank you for saying that because that's what I was trying to get out. It was just that it was kind of the culmination of all of those, those other beasts. And there were the thing that made each of them strong individually was nothing like the the culmination of all kingdoms in one kingdom it was it was uh, impenetrable it was it was something that couldn't be knocked over it was something that couldn't be conquered and the images that are portrayed in this vision again historically tie in very well mm-hmm. with what we see happening in the roman kingdom uh, um from everything from the little horn coming up and whether he said you know that's that's very Uh, possibly Domitian, um, but even the historical events that were playing out preceding to him coming up, um, three horns being plucked out by the roots, lines up with what was going on in Rome at those times. Again, so very uplifting, very building, um, just impressive leading up to the time where the greatest kingdom that has ever been and the everlasting kingdom that was prophesied of old would come into its own, even though the, the Roman Empire would go on and exist for a few more years, certainly in a weakened
1: state. How hard was it today for you not to just jump into the New Testament? It's, it's really hard. <laughs> it was really <laughs> hard because, I tried, yeah, trying really hard not to want
0: to. Yeah. But I'm so excited about the next thing that we're going to do because we're going to continue the study uh, next. Time with the New Testament side of this. We've tried to keep it in the Old Testament, even though we've jumped over there a few times into the New Testament. We're going to get into the New Testament side of this next time through, and um, really excited about that. And it's been hard to restrain and, and to hold back, but um, definitely going to to get into that and to spend some time really, really looking into this kingdom. Uh, where it is now, um, uh, what's the the state of it, uh, and just what Jesus Himself had to say about it. It's just, it's
1: really looking forward to that that next time through. Absolutely, and just focusing on the preaching of the kingdom and, and everything that is said there. It's going to be really interesting. We we really we really want to encourage those who who this is our again our our second attempt a second attempt at our first. Uh, first podcast. but So we know it's going to take a little time to get some traction on this, but we really want to have you involved as well. And if you have questions or comments, uh, we want you to uh, relay those to us and we'll do our best to address those. If you want to have a Bible study about anything else, uh, we'd be happy to engage in that as well. Uh, But we're just two guys with bibles here and we're just trying to study god's word and get a little closer to him and try to share this gospel message
0: yeah and that's exactly where we want to keep it as two guys with bibles because we don't want to to get into anything else i mean this is a bible study absolutely and that's um that's what it's all about is is getting in there and trying to understand what god is saying to us through his word what the holy spirit is saying to us through his word because again my opinions on this means zero means zero it's my uh, my goal and, and all of our purpose to try to, to understand what God wills for us because it's His will that's ultimately the only thing that matters. And so we, we stay in the Bible. We try not to get outside of it too much. Uh, we may have to make a reference here and there in order to, to make some tie-in, but our focus is sitting here with our Bible we're sitting here across from each other with with both of our Bibles open and and notes in them and everything else and so that's where we want to keep it and I, I echo what Jay says if there's any questions that you have any questions that we can answer we would love the opportunity to be able to do that for you and so I hope that this has been helpful for you I hope that this has been interesting and beneficial we're excited about the format and about the opportunity to be able to do these on a regular basis And if you have any questions uh, about the Bible that you'd like for us to address or to answer, again, like he said, if you want to have a Bible study about this or something else, we would love to engage in those
1: with you. So um, any other words that you need to say before we depart? Excited about next week, and we hope that you all have enjoyed this. And again, uh, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Until next time, God bless you.